I think some of the best scientists, the ones that have made some of the biggest discoveries, tap into their intuitive side where they can't explain it. They don't know where it's coming from, but they're somehow, because they're making leaps where the data that they had in front of them, the instrumentation they had in front of them, the results weren't the only piece. Welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna Podcast. This podcast is meant to encourage you to connect within so you can share your light with the world. And now, here's your host, Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Welcome, beautiful souls, to another episode of the Cosmic Love Antenna, your weekly inner exploration to your outer expression. Today, I have another episode for you, another powerful being to share with you, to connect you back into your heart space so you can get out into the world and be the best version of yourself. And I don't want to waste any time today because I'm just, me and, me and my guest here were just having a chat before we started recording and I wanted to, his heart was already bubbling up, so I don't want to... I want to get straight into it. My guest for today is another masculine energy, which is I'm excited about in general because I haven't thus far on the podcast. There's only been a couple of men I've interviewed, and this is a, a powerful one in himself. Dr. John Sodery is a PhD chemist. He's a scientist. He is a keynote speaker. He is a very wise biohacker. But as is the theme here on this podcast, he is so, so much more. And that moreness, that love, that energy is what I want to share with you today. Dr. John, welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna. Uh, Harrison, it's great to be here with you, my friend. And, uh, you know, we've shared a lot of rooms on Clubhouse with a lot of great people. And, uh, you know, I was looking forward to talk with you. I know it probably won't be my normal interview where we're digging, you know, nine levels deep in terms of, you know, how do people live longer? But I, uh, I love what you focus on. I love the energy that you bring. So I'm looking forward to it. I love you very much, my friend, and me too. This has been when I reached out to you, when we shared, we did share a room together. And as people listening, this is a, a trend I have here on the podcast. All of my guests have been from Clubhouse and Dr. John is just another one of those beautiful beings. And when we were talking about him coming on, it was immediate. It wasn't even a, a second thought for me because as you'll see and listen to today, there is so much here to gain from his work. So, Dr. John, I, I do want to go deep with you, and we'll get to all the love and spiritual stuff that I like to speak of, but yeah. I do want to start where you're at, and I do want to hear about your, your chemist background, your biohacking background, your, your sort of your in-the-ground physical bo body background. So I guess where we can start this chat is maybe I want to know why – why are you the man that you are today? And let me break that down <laughs> to make it a bit more simple. Yeah. You know, you spend a lot of time speaking about the biochemistry and the biology of the body. How did that, how did that begin? Why are you that person here now? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I guess I have the, uh, the science genes. Um, my father was a scientist, um, taught at the university of Maine and, uh, also um, uh, reviewed textbooks from McGraw-Hill and wrote uh, the, the study guide to the best-selling textbook in chemistry. And then my grandfather was a PhD chemist and uh, one of the colleges in the United States is called Bard College. If you've ever watched The Sopranos, it's where um, 
the woman who plays the psychologist, her son in the series goes to Bard. One of the buildings at Bard is called Soddery Hall um, in honor of my grandfather who taught there for, I don't know, 45 years plus. And uh, really, uh, you know, both my father and my grandfather have passed. My father made it uh, to 90 and lived at home the whole time. But I was always <clears throat> interested and intrigued by science because I was obsessed with understanding how do things work and why do they break? Um, what I think differentiates me a little bit is that I love science, but I see it as a tool to improve life for people. So I'm not as intrigued studying, uh, you know, the gas phase spectra of this, you know, particular entity in a vacuum, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that beautiful science? I want to understand science that can save a person's life or prevent them from getting melanoma or prevent them from getting Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. I want to mm -hmm. understand in the body what goes wrong. And I don't look at it at a clinical level, meaning the symptoms. I try to go down to the molecular level, to the enzymes, to okay. what's happening. Because at that point I can say, well, if that's happening, here's what I can do about it. Yeah. So when I, when I, um, I did my doctoral work at Duke and I taught, um, uh, freshman chemistry recitation at Duke and I taught laboratory courses and so on. And most of my class in general were pre-med. So I'm sure a lot of those folks are doctors. In fact, every once in a while I get stopped at an airport and it turns out it's somebody I had <laughs> in class. I'm in the background. You know, 40 years ago at Duke or whatever, but, uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, 62 and a half. Uh, I'll be 63 this year. Um, but I, I like to understand. John, let me, let me jump in here. If, yeah. if anyone's ever interacted with you on clubhouse or maybe on your social media platforms, you know, one of the, one of the first introductions I had for you, and this is where I'll take this chat next, but when you say 62, you're not, I, in my opinion, and maybe you'd agree with this, you're not the average 62-year-old in terms of this longevity <laughs> and, and, and health regiment. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah. I, um, my, my goal is to try to be an example and yep. show people what is possible if you really make smart moves. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going out and spending $100,000 a year doing stem cell treatments and all, yeah. and all that. I'm just making really intelligent moves and um, I think it's working. I mean, I, I lead backpacking trips up in the, you know, up in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, I have a mountain bike. I run, I, I hiked up 10,000 feet plus out in Colorado this summer. And my brother-in-law said, people coming from sea level, John, they usually are struggling a little yep. bit, man. <laughs> and you're not. Yeah. And, and this is, and this is what I was sort of want to, this is why I wanted to bring you on my friend and why I want to go into some of the deeper topics with you here today is because this is not a Dr. John thing, right? Yes. He's a very wise man has done the, has done the work and is learning all the time, but I don't think this needs to be a, 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 a sort of a outlier sort of element. I think this is something that we can all access, right? If we have the, yeah. if we have the support, if we have the knowledge, if we have the guidance, from a from at least a physical level and we could talk about the other things but from at least a physical level from a biochemical level that we are shifting now we are shifting into the world of where we are as the individual being able to take back 
our health that maybe for many generations has started to be sliding, right? This idea that we age, as we age, there is this socially accepted sort of frailty and, oh, I'm just going to have disease or I'm just going to have challenges. But as you are saying, and I know you believe this, that's optional, right? Aging, I mean, we could talk about that. Aging is a is a maybe question in itself, but the aging with frailty, aging with disease is a question mark. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, Harrison. I, I'm a big believer that you want to maximize your health span. Yeah. And to me, health span means I want to be able to do things that I could do when I was in my 30s. And I want to do them well into my 60s and maybe my 70s and beyond. I want to... Um, I want to have strong bones. I want to have, you know, good lean muscle mass. I want to have um, really good mitochondrial function so I can create a lot of energy. I want my circulatory system, my brain to be healthy. And I'm understanding what goes wrong and saying, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. Uh, you know, last month I taught people, how do you avoid Alzheimer's? Yeah. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a hundred percent kind of thing, but I've, I'm on the latest research and yeah. I'm understanding molecular mechanisms and there are things you can do about it that don't involve drugs. I mean, I think the Alzheimer's drug, um, you know, is is $100,000 a year or more for someone to be on it. It's incredibly expensive and it doesn't really do very much. Um, I'm all about preventing damage and turning on repair. So I think that's a better approach. Yeah. And it's, I, I like giving this book, maybe you've read it, my friend, but I'll give it to people listening. There's a book called Regenerate by Sayaji, S-A-Y-E-R. His last name is J-I. And in the book, he goes into the new science coming out about how in each of our cells, that what we used to see or used to think and see as sort of open and dead space and junk DNA is actually showing now to be connected to the, this potential for change, this potential for regeneration, this potential for coming back to a state of homeostasis. And I think it's a big part of what you're talking about, Dr. John, and it's a big part of taking back this power and control of our health span, which is where I want to shift into next here and get your, sure. you know, your, your advice, your opinions. I'm wondering, my friend, we originally met, I think it was in a room when we were talking about biohacking, biohacking and, and taking back our, I think it was like pain management discussion and uh, the biohacking, <clears throat> if you want to call it, <clears throat> as I clear my throat, the biohacking movement or culture or era almost is, is at large with us at the moment. And I'm wondering both as you as the individual and then maybe even the, what you've noticed in the industry at large, how has this impacted with the work that you're doing and this sort of idea of aging with grace? Yeah, I guess um, even before Dave Asprey coined that term biohacking, because he was a computer hacker and he he, he coined that term. And um, I like Dave a lot. I've learned a lot from him. He's, he's um, opened my eyes to things that I hadn't seen yet so I could dig into those. Um, but I guess the number one thing is I'm a lot less weird now than I was 20 years ago, <laughs> because <laughs> 20 years ago, people, no one was doing this stuff. Um, and my doctors, I, you know, they say, John, are you taking any supplements? And I'd start, you know, rattling down list. the list and they were just completely blown away. Um, so I think 
that's part of it is that a lot of people now are tuning into what is possible. Um, I'm not in love with the term biohacking because yeah. to me, it's really more, you have a super complex system. There's a hundred different parameters and you need to tune each one. And because we're all different, what works for me may not do anything for you. And in fact, you might even feel worse. And so I've kind of tuned my approach to saying each person has biochemical mm. individuality. Yep. You need to measure some critical biomarkers to figure out what your issues are. And then you want to address those. Now, there are general things. We all need vitamin D. If you don't want to catch or die from COVID-19, you really want to optimize your D levels. Um, you know, there's some things that are true for everybody. But even in that case, different groups have different requirements. So yeah. um, and and dynamic expression of those requirements, right? It's uh, you know I'm so happy you're saying this, Doctor John. And it's I too have a I, I started for many people that don't know, you know, I started my journey as a personal trainer, and as that as I was leaning into that sort of element of my of my expression, the biohacking world and all the tools and then i noticed you're wearing an aura ring my friend on your hand yeah, yeah, right yeah. we the, it suits very well to the physical mindset the masculine energy of tracking taking action getting stuff done having feedback taking a step forward and it's beautiful that's we need it that's part of it but yeah. it's also not the only part right and it's it's also we within that perspective we start to overlook either consciously or unconsciously the feminine within us and the feminine is what you're saying about the receiving the flowing the the spontaneity the the sort of the bouncing back of the taking the action forward and i think that is what is needed within in my opinion i'm wondering if you agree sir within the biohacking perspective yeah and, and also um i i think that energy is about being more tuned in and paying attention to your body and sensing those little signals. Yes. And also, you know, when I was 30 years old, I was going to live forever. I thought I was untouchable. Um, and I didn't think it mattered. You know, I wasn't, I didn't pay as much attention to what I ate or a lot of behaviors that, you know, sleeping too late, drinking more than I should and so on. So I'm more, I'm more tuned in and I've learned a lot from, um, the women in my life, from my wife, uh, you know, from my mother, you know, uh, from several members of my research group at Duke. Um, and they have, they have skills that I don't have. And I had to learn and yeah. observe and try Adapt. to develop. And, uh, my mother, um, although she wasn't a scientist, um, probably had the, you know, the biggest influence on me in my life, um, just the way that she lived her life. And, um, I always, um, she, uh, we lost her in, uh, 2009. She was a three-time cancer survivor. And, um, at that point I, um, had founded a successful software company. I was traveling around the world. I was, you know, things were going well, but I made the decision when my mom passed that um, I would sell my software company and really pursue my heart's passion, which was to help people stay healthier. Yeah, she, when you see someone that you love 
um, go through three different bouts with cancer and the surgery, the chemotherapy, the radiation, the lymphedema, you know, her arm would go sometimes would be three times its normal size. And she handled it with such incredible grace, but it burned it into me that at that point I couldn't save her. I, I would have had to start 10 years earlier. Um, and so I watching my mother deal with cancer and then my father was a type two diabetic, um, also had Parkinson's and, uh, he, you know, he, for the last 30 years of his life, I watched chronic disease take away one by one, each of the things that he loved to do, whether it was hiking or canoeing or boating or, um, you know, whatever. And it was really, um, painful. So I, th I made the decision. I said, you know, I will do anything in my power to avoid cancer and to avoid chronic disease. Mm. And then that really turned it on. And, and I thought, whenever I'm going to solve a problem, I have to dig into it at, at the deepest level. I, I'm a, um, the biggest problem in health right now is if you want to write a successful book, you have to pick one topic. You have to narrow the entire world down to one topic. And you have to make the entire world, you have to make the entire world all about gluten or all about sugar or all about trans fats or whatever. And what I, my, my approach is that there are a hundred critical systems. And unlike your stock portfolio, where if one stock crashes, you're still okay. If one system in your body crashes, you die, whether it's your kidneys or your liver or your lungs or your heart or your, uh, you know, the circ circulation to your brain or the mitochondrial function, one thing can take you out. So I'm the guy that I study the hundred different experts that each focus on that one niche, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to do the Steve Jobs thing of saying, let me understand all these pieces and then let me put it together uh, in a way that is attainable by most people because most people don't have a hundred thousand dollars a year to spend biohacking. No, you know, they're not going to go into a full body MRI every year. They're not going to get there. They're not going to go through all the heavy duty things. And I think those things are great. And you know, some of them I, I might, I may try at some point, but they're not necessarily the fun, you know, the, the foundation. And I, I know what the foundation is and I I'm excited because I feel like, Every year I have a dip bar that I put 73 inches off the ground and I have to get up about 43 inches off the ground to get up on that dip bar. And when I can do that in my sixties, it puts a smile on my face because yeah. I know that most 30 year olds can't do that. And it tells me all that study, all the work, all the, you know, putting together all the different parameters, it really can have some, you know, magical effects. And you said something earlier that I wanted to comment well, on, and that is well, Doctor John. Let me jump in here for two seconds because I want to. I want to add something before I forget it because it's so important. Please. I so I want to go back to your mum, and yeah. and because on this podcast, my friend, you can't get away with sharing your beautiful heart like that without me diving a little bit deeper into it. Right. So, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing the influence that both of them have had on you—not just your mum, but your your dad too. And yeah. I want to 
I want to step back and I want to ask you a question and then I want to dive into it because I think this can be valuable for people listening. Sure. Your mom has had such an influence and she passed away. I'm interested. Do you connect with her at all currently? Um, I have um, uh, a few times had, uh, you know, vivid dreams where my, my mother was there. And uh, my belief is that, um, first of all, all scientists, whether they were in 1800 or 1900 or 2000, they all think they've had everything figured out. But those guys <laughs> yes. before them, they were wing nuts. They didn't know anything. Yep. I realize that we still only know a tiny yes. piece. But one thing that we do know is we are made of carbon, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen. We're made of these little Legos, yep. but Legos can't think and Legos can't feel. And you might weigh 170 pounds one minute. And as Wayne Dyer would say, when life passes from you, you still weigh 170 pounds. The body that we're in is our vehicle, but the soul is different. And I don't believe that carbon and nitrogen and oxygen have learned to think and feel. So um, I believe that eventually, like you had a really old car and one day you get in the car and it just won't start, you step out of that car and you know the shell stays there, but that's not you. You're, yes. the, you're the being that animates it. That, that feels and loves and connects. You're not the carbon and hydrogen and oxygen. You're not the proteins that make up your fingernails or the calcium that makes up your teeth and your bones. The, you build that from the Legos, from the things that you take in, but that's not you. That's just your vehicle. Now that's being said, I don't think you can trade in your body. So I, I give more maintenance to myself than I do to my car because I know in 10 years, I'm going to have a new car. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. John, I would take this step further. And I actually, and this is what I'm suggesting you here for you to lean into here, if you're open to it, not right now, but just, you know, taking steps forward. This is because one of the, one of the, one of the intentions of this podcast is not only to bring on beautiful minds like you and share the knowledge that you have with the world. One of the other intentions is to, is to provide new perspectives for people to not only connect within themselves, but also to connect outside themselves. And Dr. John, I hear this, I hear you sharing this passionate origin story of what has made you the man that you are and the mission that you have in relation to your mom. And I hear this and I'm thinking, what where could this expand to? If that, if this is you now, right, where could you go? And when I think about where could you go, I think about what if, what if you had continual connection to your mom? Like, you, yes, you have connection right now, but what I'm getting at, and this is what I want to get your, your perspective on, my friend, how you feel about this. One of the practices I have every morning, as an example, is I start my day and I go into meditation, I do some practices. And one of those practices is I intentionally place my hands on my heart and I ask my guides, my ancestors, my angels to come in, to give me guidance, to give me support, to give me anything I need to receive. And that manifests in many different ways. I'm wondering, one, how this resonates with you, Dr. John, and two, if you can see this being applicable to the relationship you have with your mom. 
You know, I, um, every night when I, before I go to sleep, I say prayers and I, you know, um, I, I, I talk to both my parents, um, and, and share how much I appreciate how they raised us, how they taught us, you know, that life is about integrity. Life is about, you know, connecting with people. My mother said, told me, um, very close to the end of her life. I asked her one day, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to go to the beach. And I said, great. So I got her in the car and we drove 20 minutes and we were on the beach. And I said, you know, she goes, let's take a walk. And so after a hundred yards, I said, you know, do you want to head back? Oh no, I feel good. My mother walked a mile and a half down the beach with me. And she wanted to talk to me about kids. Cause my, um, we had a little, my daughter was a baby at that point and uh, my mother loved her. And she knew that my wife was expecting our second child with my son. And she had a lot of ideas and a lot of lessons that she wanted to share with me. So we walked down a mile and a half and finally I said, mom, we got to turn around. <laughs> and then we walked back and then I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I'd love to go to, there's a place in Maine called Ken's place. Uh, and they have the best uh, fried shrimp and fried clams. And even though I don't really like, I don't eat a lot of fried food. My mother said, I'd love to have some fried shrimp. And I said, oh, let's go. And, but we had the best time. Um, and she shared so much wisdom with me in, in that walk. And I remember um, she was pretty wiped out the next day. And my sister was upset with me. And I just said, I asked her what she wanted to do. And every hundred yards, I said, do you want to head back. And I said, this was really, really important to her. And, um, you know, though I will always, um, uh, so value that time with my mother and, you know, the, the wisdom that she shared. And when she passed, I said, um, I'm going to carry my mother's spirit forward in my life, in my heart. And she lived from her heart. And I was the uh, primary speaker at her memorial. And I can't tell you how many people, some of which I had never, ever met, that came up and told me stories about how my mother had <clears throat> saved them or had helped them or had changed their life. And uh, it was really uh, incredibly moving. But I, you know, I, I'm a go-getter. I was pedal to the metal. I was an entrepreneur. I was pushing it um, up until that point. And, you know, three months after my mom passed, I hired a, uh, an investment bank. I sold my software company and I started down the road uh, that I'm on now. And, uh, uh, you know, it, no one in my life has had a bigger influence on me. My, my father, taught me how to think. My father taught me science. He taught me how to, you know, live my life and behave. My mother taught me that there's nothing more important than children. There's nothing more important than, you know, your integrity and, and being there for people, even when it's not easy and even when it's not convenient. And, uh, I, I will. So, you know, I always want to carry her forward yeah. when I'm at my best, 
is when I'm channeling my mother and I'm just living in my heart. And um, it's beautiful. Sometimes people like you help people sometimes and they're like, so John, what do you get out of this? And I just said, uh, I, you know, I, it brings me joy when I help people. And I also know that I'm, you know, I'm honoring my mother because that's just how, you know, that's just how she was. And so it made me feel really, made me feel good. So. I'm happy that you were able to share that, my friend, because I felt that I wanted to make sure you shared that because we were talking about as we started this chat and that was coming up for you. And I wanted to make sure you got a space to share that. And it's very important for people to realize. And I guess what I'll say to this, and then we'll, I want, I want to get in some other questions here before we have to finish my friend, because there's so much I want to talk to you about, but as people are listening in my experience, and this is just my perspective. And, you yeah. know, if you're listening to this as a listener, just see how this feels for you. What I've noticed is our loved ones that have passed away either in our this current lifetime or even further back, they're never not there. What is what does change is our receptivity to letting them in or not, right? And that receptivity, how that fluctuates is through the actions that we take in the world. So if we are in an act of devotion, such as you are describing, my friend, in the work that you do, in an act of love, <laughs> that act of love becomes a little cosmic antenna or a, an attractor beam to the, the love that they inherently are that are around you all the time. Dr. John, does that resonate before we move on here? Does that, does that it, resonate with your experience? It does. I think that the world is incredibly noisy yes. and in a day we get more input than you would have gotten in a year, let's say a hundred years, you know, 1920, a hundred years ago. And um, I like to get out in the mountains and backpack and it quiets down your brain and suddenly you feel this connection with nature you feel a connection with the you know kind of the infinite intelligence you feel that connection with god that you know people say well john how can you believe that you know and i say um well there's you know uh, i i believe that all people have are connected at some level. And in fact, I mean, all of us are related, which is kind of funny. Um, if you look at the mitochondrial DNA, they can trace all humans on earth to one woman in Africa. And I think it's four and a half million years ago, because you can see, because the mother passes along almost in all cases, their mitochondrial DNA. So you have the mitochondrial DNA of your mother and it's completely separate. Your mitochondrial DNA is circular, whereas your DNA is a spiral staircase. It's a double helix, you know, at, a la Watson and Crick. Um, but I, uh, I think that you, you, it's hard these days to quiet your brain. And even for me now, I have two young kids. They got school in the morning. They have, you know, all their activities and, and some days and, and, you know, something happens with the AC unit and I'm up in the attic, you know, making sure that, you know, this is working right or that's working right. So some days it's kind of crazy and I don't really connect that way, but when I'm focused with one person and really helping them, then I find that I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm back to my true self. And I feel like I'm 
you know, kind of carry my mother forward. So I, I do think we're, if we're noisy, it's hard for us to hear things. Um, and when we're quiet and when we're doing, when we're on purpose, then I think we're much more open to, to things, but it's, I, love I it. don't, I don't understand it, but I you don't need to. Yeah. You don't, don't need to, you don't need to understand a, um, fuel injection and oxygen sensors yep. in your exhaust pipe to drive a car, but you know, it works. Which, which flows my friend, which flows on beautifully to what I want to talk about here next. So just keep that as you're listening, keep that in your mind. I just want to hit on one thing with the, with the, with the nature therapy. There's a reason through the Japanese culture, right? They, they talk about forest bathing, right? That, that connection out into the land to help us disconnect from the noise, right? We live in such a, an attention driving society at the moment from the phones, from the social media, from the television, from the technology. There's so much around us in a very unconscious and conscious state driving at our attention. If we're not mindful of it, then it can bring us down. But the immediate the immediate reset, as Dr. John is saying, is getting out into, into the land, right? Because that's love that we were talking about with Dr. John and his mum. That's the same love that we feel when we're in nature. It's the, I, the cosmic love and 10 are the name of this podcast. That love that I'm talking about is not the feeling, the emotion of love. It is that spiritual beingness of love. That is the same love that's in our loved ones, the same love that's in nature. But Dr. John, I want to switch gears here a bit and we'll, We'll put a pause on the spiritualness. We'll come back to this because there is a question I really want to ask you that I think you in the work that you do will have a, I know I've heard you speak to this before. I know you have a perspective on this that I think is really valuable. And the question is, you know, at the world that we live in at the moment, I feel I've noticed and COVID is an example of, of us just coming out of this, that the scientific view can sometimes as most belief systems can sometimes get us stuck in a closed-minded, in a very closed-minded channel, right? So for, for example, you know, and I want to be careful with my words here because I know this is controversial in some groups. You look at what's happened over the last two years of events with COVID and, you know, we all can see no matter where you land on the spectrum, there are things that can be talked about and there are things that can't be talked about. And that in itself is a symptom, in my opinion, of almost this closed perspective of a scientific model that deserves to be open. So I'm wondering, my friend, one, what is your views on this? And two, what do you feel are the steps forward? Yeah, um, I think that for a lot of scientists, if they don't understand it, and they can't explain it, then it do, it's not real, it doesn't exist. And I felt like saying, well, you know, people didn't understand microorganisms, but <laughs> the Black Plague existed and it was real. Um, you know, there's our infinite number of examples where humans didn't understand something, but yet, you know, b- before the radio, the idea that you could do a broadcast in California and listen to it in Ohio you know, was just completely crazy. And now we just take it for granted that, you know, that it's all connected. So I, I think, unfortunately, in science, you as a scientist, like when I would get up to speak at a, at a conference, I've spoken many times in Australia. Um, 
I've been invited to speak in, in Sydney and at, and, uh, at different sunscreen conferences. And I, but, um, you're taught that you can only discuss things that you have total command of that you can defend. And if you step outside of that, generally you're going to be attacked by other scientists and they're not going to look at you as a serious person. Why Dr. John, can I ask why, why is that a, why is that a thing? I think it's partly it's um, the culture of it. Meaning when you're a young scientist, you tend to say things that you can't support and they want to kind of uh, uh, beat that out of you. <laughs> so you, you get an incredible uh, pushback and you just learn that I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go here. I'm only going to, I'm going to understate my data. I'm going to do it yeah. this way or that way. You're conditioned. And it, you're conditioned. Yeah. Through, through pain generally. Um, and through, you know, maybe career destruction. Yeah. Um, well, I, and Dr. John, let me interrupt you there just because, yeah. uh, and w look at the example again, I, I'm, I want to be careful here because I know there's lots of many people listening and I, I, I respect wherever you are on the spectrum, but you look at what happened over the last two years with people doing that exact same thing with certain perspectives on the whole COVID conversation. That that's the, the example that you just gave is exactly what we saw over the last two years of people either not being, a, being too afraid to stand up and talk outside of the conditioning or when yeah. they did stand up, what happened, right? Certain people were censored and their voice was suddenly restricted, right? So I just, I wanted to make sure just people aren't following this, you know, this is happening in real time as Dr. John is speaking. Keep going, my friend. No, uh, I saw that too. And, you know, I, I pushed some videos up to YouTube and I did a video on how do you avoid calcifying your arteries? And it was just a Facebook live and somebody said, Hey John, you should put that on YouTube. So I just pushed it up and I didn't do anything. I just parked it there. And, uh, that was several years ago, but that's been viewed like 1.2 million minutes. Um, and yet, on the COVID stuff, if I gave people my best critical thinking and I gave people my best understanding of molecular mechanisms and what I would do sitting at home, what can I do to lower my risk based on the science, the studies and so on. If I had put any of that stuff on YouTube, I would have been blacklisted. Um, and so I, I started to only present to my tribe in my membership where they had to be members and it was voluntary, you know, and, and so in, on March 4th of 2020, before the lockdown in the U S I reviewed SARS one. And I said, low vitamin D is a huge risk factor for SARS one. And given that 85 or 90% of the sequence was the same, I said, I believe at that point, 3,000 people had died. And I said, my guess is that, that the majority of these people had low vitamin D. And that was my guess. Then in April, I shared data out of New Orleans and Indonesia and across the world. And it was right. And now there are 100 studies that show. In, in Israel, a study came out mm. a month ago where they said, if you tell us how old someone is and their vitamin D level, 
we can predict very precisely if they're going to have a mild case, yep. they're going to have a serious case, they're going to end up in intensive care, and if they're going to die. Yep. And to me, having people block information like that, this is before, you yes. know, uh, Rhonda Patrick was on Joe Rogan. Because I, I remember some of the people saw some of my stuff and they're like, oh my God, John, I, Joe Rogan's talking about it this <laughs> month. You, got, you should be on Joe Rogan. And I thought, you know, I'm not out to piss people off. No. I just, I come in and I say, I don't want to see people die. I don't want to see people get sick. I don't want to see people with long COVID. And then I study everything and I'm open to all possibilities. And then I, I'm a good critical thinker. And I say, this is what the data is telling me. And, uh, you know, it's two, it's two plus years. I've never yeah. gotten COVID. Yeah. I've, I've been on boats with people for the whole day. Both of my children had Omicron. I cared for them for two weeks in the house. Um, I, you know, I know that the, that the strategies that I'm following have um, helped me because yeah. I haven't had a single cold or flu or anything um, since, since this whole thing started. And, um, but it, it's frustrating to me when 20 year olds that work at one of the tech companies who don't have, who haven't been doing science for 40 years, who haven't read a scientific paper, who are not critical thinkers, they decide what truth is. And I think yeah. I say to myself, you know, that's a joke. Um, you should let people speak. And then the viewer can decide, is this credible or is this person a wing nut and let the viewer decide. And that's how it is in the world. Um, Dr. John, let me jump in here. So yeah. it's crazy. So I just want to be very clear with this conversation because we still exist in this world. And I want to, yeah. on my, on my, as this podcast is building, I'm very, I'm very new to this whole censorship world. So I want to be very clear with my intention. My intention with this is just to have this conversation, but that's my intention. This converse, just have a conversation. And as Dr. John is beautifully saying, we need to be able to express our views, right? And then how those views are interpreted comes back down to the individual, right? I believe every single person listening to this podcast right now has the right to be able to listen to my voice, has the right to be able to listen to Dr. John's voice, take in the information that is being said, and they have the power inside of them to realize, oh, this feels good to me, or this does not feel good to me. And if there is confusion there, then they also have the right to ask more questions. They also have the right to be like, okay, what do you mean by that, Dr. John? What do you mean by that, Harrison? That, Or even they also have the right to be able to complain. They have the right to agree. They have the right to disagree. And they have the right to do everything in between. It's when we start stopping the conversation at large is when we get challenges. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it here because we could make a podcast just on this chat. But I just, I wanted to get your views on this, Dr. John, because I know you are doing so much beautiful work in the world. And in my opinion, this is something that needs to be expanded on. And, you know, I, I, I guess we'll, let's end with this piece and we'll, we'll change to another topic, Dr. John, but I'm wondering what do you see moving forward? Do you see, do you see this closed-minded perspective continuing or do you feel like the tides are shifting back to a more open open-minded, expansive perspective? I see in the last, you know, I finished my doctorate in 1985. So what's that 15, like 37 years ago. Um, 
And um, what I've seen over that time is many topics like meditation. If you were at Yale and you were a professor and you wanted to do a, a study on meditation and its impact on brain waves, they, you know, in 1980, they probably would have laughed you out of Yale. <laughs> and now really talented and serious scientists are looking at meditation. They're looking at things which would have been laughed at, you know, several, you know, four decades ago. And I think that's great. Now, the rate at which that's happening, I'd like to see it happen a little faster than it is. Um, I think on the, um, on the other front that we were talking about, that there are a lot of people that see challenges, but very few people are willing to speak up mm. because they don't want to take the heat. They don't want to lose their privileges at this hospital. They don't want to be booted out of this, you know, prestigious university and so yeah. on. Um, and I have no tolerance for if you, you know, if you look at what they did in Hollywood, you know, 50 years ago with Joe, Joe you know, 70 years ago, Joe McCarthy and so on. I have no, to no tolerance for people that want to blacklist people because that's really political actors who are trying to shut up people who they think that their opinion goes contrary to a political narrative. And, you know, I think there are so many bullshit narratives put out there on all sides of the political thing. It's not any one group. They all put out their bullshit and then they just keep repeating it over and over again and hope that it will sink in. And yes. I do think you have to be, Tony Robbins did a power talk back when I was getting them on cassettes. And I remember it was stand guard at the door of your mind. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was a great point for me to learn 20 plus years ago, probably in the nineties, because people are trying to get messages into your brain. Yes. And yet they may not be in your best interest. And so I'm a critical thinker. And when someone tells me something, I look at it like it's a, it's like a tabletop. I'll grab my iPad. It's like a tabletop and it's just floating in the air. I, I want to know why. Show me the data. Show me the studies. Show me why you say that and why you believe that. And then I, you might convince me. There's many things that I've changed my view on over the last five years, the last 20 years and so on, because the data was compelling. And even the first time I heard about grounding, I thought sounds pretty hokey to me, but then I dug into it. Grounding for anyone that doesn't know means you go out, you take your shoes off, you connect to the earth. It's better if the ground's a little damp, so you get a connection. But the more I dug into it, the more I realized that the science made sense and the effects were real. And when I go to the beach, I walk barefoot. I like to walk down in the wet sand. I want to have a better connection to the earth because electrons flow. And if you don't believe electrons flow in and out of your body, then you don't believe in static electricity. You know, you haven't ever scuffed your feet on the rug and then touched the doorknob and had a spark because so I'm open to be convinced, but I'm not open to narratives. And I, I think for myself, I don't let other people think for me. You can share data with me, but I, I, I hold it to myself 
to decide what it means. And I, and I think we should all think for ourselves and not outsource it to some politician, regardless of w- where they are in the whole spectrum. So, yeah. And John, let me, so this is what you just said was so important. And I would, I'm going to add something to this and I want to see what your perspective is. I, sure. I think there's an extra step that we can all take. So you just talked about the power of the logical thinking mind in terms of data and science. And you used your, you know, the, the iPad example, and you were talking about grounding. I would also take, I would take a deeper step. I would say, use your powerful logical thinking mind and use your powerful spiritual loving heart, your intuitive sense, right? Because I, that's what I think uh, in, in, when you ask me the same question about the, the beautiful scientists and scientific model and where a lot of people are getting stuck is that they're not taking that next step. They're, they, they might be viewing the data, they might be viewing the science, and then they're building their logical perspective based off it. But then they aren't allowing something more intuitive, something more energetic, something more spiritual here to also guide them. And I think this needs to be a part of the chat. Just before I, before I throw it to you, because I want to hear your thoughts on this, go back to how we were just feeling moments ago as you were talking about your mom, talking about your mom and the actions that you took based off the love that she embodies in you. That is a powerful that is a powerful space to be. And that doesn't just apply to actions we take. It also applies to information that is coming in. What does, does this resonate, my friend? No, it, it absolutely, it absolutely resonates. And I think, I think some of the best scientists, the ones that have made some of the biggest discoveries tap in to their intuitive side where they can't explain it they don't know where it's coming from, um, but they're somehow, because they're making leaps where the data that they had in front of them, the instrumentation they had in front of them, the results weren't the only piece. They had to be able to tap into that intuitive side. And one of the mental exercises that I do is I picture five or 10 or 20 years in the future. Mm. And they've solved it. And then I think, what's the solution, what's, what's the, what's the solution going to look like? You're manifesting. Like? <laughs> and, and I, well, but I, when I do that, it brings my mind into this point where now I have to pull from the unknown. And so it's really just a mental technique. And um, um, I love it. I'm pretty proud of, there are times when I've had an intuitive sense. And instead of squashing that because I can't prove it, I say, that's interesting. And then I say, well, that would suggest I might want to, you know, change course a little bit. Yes. Or maybe instead of assigning this, um, because I have a preconceived notion in my brain, um, like the molecule ergothionine. It's in mushrooms. It's a beautiful molecule, critical to human health. You're going to hear a lot about it in the next 10 years. But everyone talks about it because of it. it's an antioxidant. And that's true. Scientists like to name a molecule and say it's this. And that's a really limiting thing. Um, and in reality, it's also a chelator. It also locks up metal ions. And that's why I believe it's helpful for preventing Alzheimer's because it's free copper ions in your brain 
that transfer electrons and cause a lot of the mayhem and a lot of the damage to your brain. And so I trusted, you know, I had worked with chelators years ago. So everyone that talks about ergothionine talks about it as an antioxidant. And, but they don't open their mind up to say, you're giving it a name and that limits your thinking down to that one mechanism. But in fact, it can do multiple so much things. More. And I had seen that 30 years ago in my career and I, the lesson never left me. And so I use that to say, wow, that's why people that eat more mushrooms in Japan have less dementia. That, I mean, uh, it allowed me to connect yeah. dots that most people wouldn't connect. Um, and it brings me back to a point that my father taught me. Um, well, Dr. John, hold that thought. Because I, I, I want to expand on what you just said because it's so profound. And if you're a scientist listening to this chat, I want to make sure you heard what he, Dr. John just said. One, when we have a a thought, when we have a thought and a, a based off a a way that we've been acting. So if you're in the scientific model and you've learned all of these equations, you've learned all these models, you've learned all these ways of being, these are thoughts and pathways that are running to help you be the person that you want to be, right? Of course, we need these things. But the, what is a belief? A belief is a thought that we keep thinking. What is a belief system? A belief system is inherently closed. So we need to be mindful of that, that when we are in a, a certain way of thinking, a certain way of believing a belief system, it's closed. So we need a way to be able to jump out of that closed system when the time is right. What is the way? It is that intuitive feeling that you were just talking about. This yes. is not an or conversation. This is not a, I use my thinking mind or I use my intuitive sense. That's not what Dr. John just said. What he just said is that he used both at the same time. He used both to expand and to create something more, right? So yeah, keep going. So go with the point. Well, I was just going to say my father, I think in like 1969, when I was 10 years old, went to Dartmouth on a sabbatical and he uh, took a problem solving course from one of the top experts in the world. And when he came back, we would go hiking and I was only 10 years old, but he taught me the course and he, and he presented me with the, with the problems and, and so on. So he, he really, the key thing in life, if you want to solve problems is people bring preconceived ideas to the problem. And it's, it's, it's your thing where they focus in and it has to be this. They have this preconceived idea and that blocks them from the true solution. So anytime I come to a problem, I step back and I say, what are my preconceived ideas? Yep. And let me take those away and away because those are blinding me. The real solution's over here, but my preconceived ideas won't let me look there because Oh, it can't be so simple as doing one, two, three, four, and five. Um, you know, we have to create a whole new technology, a whole, whole new class of molecules on and on and on. That's their belief. And I have that ability, I think, to catch myself when I start to apply that and open things up. And I think that's yes. a, the only way to solve complex problems is to catch yourself, to recognize it, and open your, your thoughts back up and to tune in when something doesn't feel right. Some you're getting this something you can't, 
it's not quantitative. You can't express it to somebody, but you just know there's something else going on here. This just doesn't quite make sense. And um, beautiful. Yeah, I I don't want to get off on tangents, but I'm flashing back to different scientific discoveries and, you know, that I was involved in. and, And that was the most critical thing. And even in my days at Procter and Gamble, you know, that was my first job out of when I finished up my doctorate. I would sometimes be in a room with 25 people. They were all much older than me that have more experience. And I could see them bringing their preconceived ideas. And I had to very gently say, well, if this and this and this are true, then yes, that's the only answer. But let's just step back for a second. And because we don't know that these things are all true. So let's just step back a little bit. And um, it's amazing how much quicker you can solve a problem if you don't blind yourself to all, you know, with with your preconceived notions, your preconceived ideas, you stay open to all possibilities. So I think that's a, I wish more scientists um, were taught that. I was lucky. I never was taught that in undergrad. I wasn't taught that in graduate school, but I was taught that by my father and I will always, you know, I will always appreciate that. Dr. John, you know, I feel you have these loving energies they're so deeply in that heart space, both your mom and your dad. And, you know, I'm I'm happy that we were able to have this chat today with them. And I'm, I'm, you know, stepping forward into the future, my friend, if, if you ever want to have a chat about connecting to these energies more, please let me know, because I'd love to, you know, I feel these energies moving through you. And I could only, when I project and look into the future and I see the work that you're doing in the world, I see your mom and your dad, you know, even more so becoming a part of the work that you're doing. Harrison, I just want to share one thing. So, I'm going to pull it down for a second, but I have a, a picture of my mom that I keep, I keep so I can see it. Oh, I, love I can that. see her when I'm on camera Yeah, because my mother just had this magical energy in it. When I see her face, it, it inspires me of course. to not be, uh, you know, to, to be more and to be, you know, to really, um, Act in love. Stay in my heart as opposed to just into, you know, this molecular mechanism or this enzyme or this supplement or this drug or whatever. It's more than that. So, yeah. My friend, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I want to just quickly go back. I have one more question for you, but I just, I wanted to hit on that thread of the, you know, I, I, when I look to the future, what I asked you about, you know, taking a step into the future of the, of the openness of the, of the scientific model, it's exactly what you were just explaining, that ability to jump back and forth between the logical and the intuitive. And this was coming to me as you were speaking, I think of the Einstein quote, the Einstein quote, he has, I'm probably going to butcher it, but the quote is you can't, you can't solve, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it, right? And how we get to that new thinking, right? Often is jumping out of that belief system, often in an intuitive way to make a new way forward. Right. Yeah. So if, if, if you've been listening to this chat, you've been listening to Dr. John today, there's one thing you take, it's, it's, it's love. And it's that idea that we can be both, right? We can be both. We can be yes. both a beautiful, logical thinking mind and that beautiful, loving, powerful, spiritual heart. And Dr. John, I hope you don't mind me sharing this with, with the people listening. When we were setting up this podcast, you know, you, you shared with me, you just said, Oh, Harrison, 
I don't know if I can come on and have a conversation about these topics with you. And I respectfully said to you, I disagree, my friend. I think <laughs> you're a powerful mind and you can definitely go to the depths and the spaces we need to go. And I just want to say to you, my friend, I told you so, right? I told you so. Yeah, you, you absolutely did. You know, what's funny, Harrison, is that I said that and I was thinking about it and I had to jump in the car and I had to run and pick up my daughter from, uh, you know, she had finished up her, her practice and I was in the car and I just, the thought of my mother popped in my mind and I thought, wow, this, you know, like it's not my normal interview where people will say, okay, John, you know, I want to live longer. I want to stay stronger. I want my skin to look good. I want to, um, you know, I, I don't want Alzheimer's, you know, the physical stuff and, and like that. Um, but my mother was about having that intuitive sense and living from your heart and recognizing that, you know, um, my mother, I got used to this, but, you know, my mother comes back from the supermarket and she has a mom and two kids with her. <laughs> and so my mother says, oh, they're having dinner with us. And then over the course of dinner, you realize that their car broke down. They're from another city in, in the state. And my mother noticed they were in distress. And so my mother called a trusted mechanic and he said, yeah, he'd come down and whatever, then collected them, brought them home, fed them dinner and, <laughs> and then got a phone call at eight o'clock that night. Okay. The car's fixed. And, you know, and my mother would drive them and, and they would go off and, and the people would always have this look like they were um, touched by an, you know, touched by an angel. Like this person came in and saved us. And I, and to my mother, it was just, and she never wanted to get credit for it. Like she would never tell that story the next day to her friends about look at how, or put it on Instagram or, or put it on Facebook. You know, she didn't do it for the credit. She was just a, a really special person. And she, she really helped people in need. And I heard so many stories like that at her memorial. And it just made me realize that even though I had seen her touch you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. There were all these people, this was happening all the time and she didn't come home and, and tell us all her good deeds of the day. You know what I mean? So I wasn't even aware of some of these things. So, yeah. It's beautiful, my friend. And, and I'm, I'm always, I'm trying this, the mission again of this podcast is to really define and help people understand this deep, powerful, spiritual love that we have inside of us. And your stories today with your mom and your parents, it just beautifully highlights what we all have access to this, this relationship that John has with, has with his mother, this beautiful connection to her love. We all have this inside of us, both within for ourselves and also with the people that we care about most. So I would encourage anyone listening, if you are inspired by Dr. John's example, right? Where can you lean into this in your life, right? Where can you lean into this within your friends, your mom, your dad, all of this stuff. So I love you, my friend. I want to, I want to wrap this up because I want to be mindful of your energy and I want to be, I want to keep this container tight, but before yeah. I, have, I have one more question for you, but before I jump sure. to that, I want to give you a minute or so just to quickly, if people have been connecting to your love, connecting to your work, connecting to the way that you stand in your power in this world, 
where can you direct them with maybe things that you're doing, like in terms of your coaching, your services? What do you want to provide? A little over two years ago, I started something. Um, it's it's called Bionic Vitality, and I actually, I, I sorry, I got my normal thing. It's actually in the corner there. I started that because I wanted. I found that I have a thousand friends around the world that I was their go-to guy. John, what about this? What about this? What about this supplement? Have you seen this study? What do you think about this? And I realized that my calling was to first to try to be an example. And then secondly, to do the work, to, to read the science, to understand the molecular mechanisms, to figure out what's real and what's not. So, um, you know, I have that membership. I get together with my tribe once a month. I teach them in 45 minutes. Here is one of the foundational things that I'm doing to age more slowly, to enhance my health span. Here's the science. Here's why. Um, and I try to translate it into English you know, with a lot of metaphors. And then I say, okay, and if you want to take action, you know, here's what you do. So I try to make it simple to understand and then easy for people to take action. So um, that's my program. Uh, and if anyone's interested, you know, I'm happy to, you know, happy to uh, have you be part of that. And uh, so, it, oh, it's a, it's, it's at, it's at johnsoddery.com. So yeah, if you I'll, just take I'll, my, I'll put yeah. that in the show notes. Oh, I'll, cool. I'll, cool. I'll yeah, put yeah. that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode, and you've connected to Dr. John's energy, look in your, in your podcast player, it should be in the description with his website and all the details. So I'll, I'll put it there, my friend. And I just, you know, I want to promote you and the, I wanted to bring you on this onto this podcast so we could have a chat to give value to the world. But I also wanted to show everyone this beautiful light that is inside of you, as we've just heard and this love and not just the wisdom that you give around the physical body and everything we've heard today, but how you bring it all together and your vision for the future. And that's, I think, where we align is this sort of shining light stepping forward into a world that we all deserve to step into. Speaking of which, my friend, to wrap all this up, yes. the, the intention of this podcast is to help people connect to that deep spiritual love inside of them so they can connect to that and express it outside of them. And we've hit on it throughout this chat. And I want to sum it all up now. I'm wondering, my friend, how do you define that love word in your opinion? I guess in my mind, um, if you feel connections to people, if you don't feel the separation, to me, that's what the, the love is all about. It's, it's knowing that even though you just met someone, you know, and they're, ha you know, they're having a, uh, a challenge or whatever that, that we're all connected. And so to me, love is about realizing that we're all in your body, you have 40 trillion cells on earth. We have 8 billion people, a lot fewer number. Um, and your bot, your brain coordinates those 40 trillion cells perfectly a million times a second. So they all do the right things. So I see all the humans, as being all connected. And th to me, that's what love is. Um, the absence of love is separate. Your ego says, mm. no, no, it's all about me and, you know, screw everyone else or whatever. And, and love is saying, wow, I'm connected. And if I have a gift that I, if I, whenever I meet anyone, 
I, I know that if I talk to him for a little bit, that there's something that I know that can either help them or help their son or their daughter or help their mom. And so I always, when I talk to people, when I'm at a party or whatever, part of my brain's always saying, okay, what's, what's going on in their life? Cause I know some, they're going to say something and I can say, okay, look into this or check this out or, you know, they be careful of this. Um, and, and it's because I feel connected to other people and I just feel like separation is kind of the absence is the, is the opposite of that. To me, it feels so pure when you're just giving from your heart and you're not expecting anything in return. I think that fills your heart with joy. So that, that's how I, you know, that's how I look at it. Love is connection. Love yeah. is unity. Love is bringing back together. My friend, yeah. I love you very much. Thank you for spending your time with me. Thank you for sharing your voice, your wisdom, your energy, your knowledge. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Beautiful souls out there in the podcast world. I hope you gained some extra pieces of inner connection to help with your outer expression today with myself and Dr. John. We both love you unconditionally and we're wishing you a wonderful evening, morning and night wherever you are in the world. And I'll catch you next time. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow Harrison on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at Harrison Ma. That's Harrison, M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.